there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon! Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, shame and uh, compassion, you know, healing from the shame in our lives. Um, I think it's a really important topic. I was trying to think of different things that I could talk about. Um, I know with uh, this community ending that a lot of us are going through grief and as a therapist that, that was kind of my first uh, you know, reaction was maybe we should talk about grief. Um, and, but then I was thinking about you know, some of the, the different um, experiences that we have maybe going forward and looking for uh, community, um, you know, in, in the next phase in, in all of our lives. And um, I think understanding shame, kind of where shame comes from, and learning also what we can take from our experience at Collective, um, you know, what we have uh, maybe learned and, and grown in in different ways, that that would be a, a powerful thing for us to think about. Um, so you might remember Emily and I talked uh, a few months ago about community and belonging uh, and learning how to um, maybe find belonging in something bigger than yourself and how powerful that is. Uh, we also talked about how we have an opportunity in communities to, um, to learn how to accept ourselves and how to grow. and that in that place, in uh, a place like uh, Collective, or Collective specifically, that a lot of us have been given the opportunity to thrive in amazing ways because we see this acceptance and we share this compassion for one another. Um, so as though this, um, this has, has given us that opportunity, you know, I think about um, it being, a, you know, a place of good soil, you know, to use kind of Christian uh, <laughs> analogies there. I was thinking, you know, Holly last week passed out snacks. Like, <laughs> I should have brought, you know, the VBS, like the cup of like Oreo soil, <laughs> like Oreo <laughs> cookies with, with like gummy worms. If I had been prepared, I would have brought that. Was, um, you know, Rob and, and uh, you know, the, the, the direction that they they went with collective, um, Caroline and Rob really were able to create a place of good soil for people to to learn to be compassionate and and that's continued. Um, but as we go from here, you know, what can we take with us? Um, our little cup of soil <laughs> with us. Right? Um, so to start, I think it's important to look a little more at shame. Um, what we came from, maybe um, you know, other places that um, we we had been, um, or even just in our own lives, you know, where we've picked up shame um, and understood shame to affect us, because uh, it's pervasive. You know, it's not just from a, a specific place that that might have happened. Um, we we want to learn, you know, what is kind of the mechanism of shame? How does it work? And then how do we heal from that? And how do we take what we have um, fostered here in this community with us in some positive way? Uh, so shame is uh, just defined um, 
in kind of what I found um, a, a helpful definition of shame is that it's a painful belief in one's defectiveness as a human being. Um, it's more than just a feeling. It's also kind of your bodily or physical responses combined with predictable actions or behaviors, distressing thoughts, and a deep despair. Um, so at its root, shame is the belief in your defectiveness as a human, um, almost that you are subhuman, right? Um, so how does shame come about? Uh, so intuitively, we, we can kind of understand that shame um, seems to probably happen early, um, you know, maybe early experiences of feeling that you're not enough, that you're not good enough. Um, or that you don't measure up in some, some way. And, and the research actually bears this out. Um, you know, psychologically, we can tra trace it back uh, often to very early childhood experiences, often uh, from primary caregivers, but not always. You know, it can come from other places, of course, as well. Um, but uh, it, it can be direct or indirect. You know, uh, we can learn shame from other people um, and how they treat themselves. That's really important, not just how they treat you. You know, um, a lot of parents uh, maybe have a really positive um, way of interacting with their own kids, but then they treat themselves with a lot of hate and self-loathing and, and that, you know, uh, kind of shame that they put on themselves is often picked up by the kids as, oh, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're not as good or maybe I'm not as good, you know, maybe um, they have such a negative opinion of themselves and, you know, always wanting to, you know, one example would be uh, being, you know, a parent who's always dieting or always talking about how awful they look. Maybe they wouldn't share any of that with their own kid or put that on their kid but just the way they're treating themselves is sharing a shame message, right? So the first um, shame message that I think is important, so I, I break it down um, and often talk through this in, in therapy with clients, but uh, there are five basic messages um, that I found um, really common uh, as, as um, a kind of a originating point for shame for children. Um, so the first one might be, um, you are not good. Um, so the force behind this message is that at your very core, there's something rotten or evil about you. Um, and obviously, this has huge implications. It's also, unfortunately, um, the position that a lot of people take from a religious perspective. Um, you know, we have original sin and um, the whole doctrine there, um, and, and I'm not going to um, get too deep into that, but I will say that uh, there are responses to that. I know um, Matthew Fox has a good book, Original Blessing. Um, there's also another one I haven't read that came out more recently. I don't know if either of you have read it. Daniel Danielle Schroer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if she is kind of building on Fox's book or if it's... Mm -hmm. um, on that, right, right after that book came out, um, yeah, and she did all of her um, like under like her graduate studies on the idea of mm -hmm. Yeah, 
So uh, definitely something to look up if you're wanting um, another perspective on the fall and original sin, uh, kind of our status. Um, in a nutshell, at least the Matthew Fox book, the, um, the direction that that goes is to look at um, God in all things and present and through all things, and that um, we should be looking at um, the goodness of God in all, and sin is present still, evil is still real and exists, but it's considered more of an exception. Um, instead of starting, the starting point being we're all sinful, we're all evil and bad as um, the rule, um, and then God's grace as kind of the exception, the starting point is we're all good and worthy um, as creations of God. Um, and with God abiding in us, um, and the exception is that there's sin and evil in the world and, and that we can also do. Um, so that the, you know, that's important though, that if we uh, come from this position, even as children of growing up thinking, you know, I'm rotten, I'm evil, um, you know, of course shame can come from that. You know, I, I, I've got to, you know, change this. I have to do more. I have to do something to get over this. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I could say a lot more about this, and <laughs> if if I were to say more about it, I think <laughs> the um, the direction that the Western or American um, Christian um, church has has gone in a lot of ways, I think, has been an inordinate attention to um, punishment and kind of our natural sinful state. Um, and I think what that has done is uh, created a devaluing of the unchurched or people who aren't part of this community um, in the sense that um, we often are teaching that you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way, and that is what, you know, brings you value, in a <coughs> sense. Um, and uh, I think this has led to, obviously, a lot of people in the church and church leaders um, just acting morally to avoid punishment. And then what happens? Like, what happens when we teach our kids to just avoid punishment? Um, they just hide their behaviors, <laughs> right? Um, and so there has to be something else there. Um, I think that if we focused more on um, teaching morality based on compassion for others instead of shame um, for, uh, and avoidance of punishment, then we'd probably have a lot less or fewer um, kind of the asshole Christians, <laughs> you know, that, well, I can say this and it doesn't matter. Um, or I can do this as long as you don't find out about it, right? Um, so, but getting back to kind of the idea in, in the original blessing um, of God, it, God being in all things and through all things, um, we see a deep value and a worthiness in, in creation, you know, not just in people who share all of our same values or think like we do, um, but as kind of a default state of the human being as having just immense value and worthiness. Um, 
so, and I think that's kind of the answer to the you are not good. Um, another message, a shame message, is you're not good enough. Um, and so this is kind of um, focusing on that performance. Um, you're almost there, you've almost got it, you know, you got all, you know, B's on your report card, but I think there's really an A student in there somewhere, you know, deep down. Um, so it's like you've almost measured up, but you're not quite there. And a lot of times parents feel justified in um, approaching parenting in this way um, because you might get the results, you know? You might get the outcome of a high achiever. Um, sure, they're crippled with anxiety, <laughs> <laughs> but they're achieving at a high level, right? Because they're pushing themselves constantly to try to reach some standard. Um, and the problem, though, with this is that, um, you know, the message is that all value being held in high regard or being loved is conditional. It's based on some set of standards that you have to reach, you know? And, and even if uh, caregivers maybe not making it that explicit um, or saying, like, I only love you if you get all A's or something, um, it's this idea that this is how I gain, you know, favor or regard or value is through my achievements, through the outcomes here. Um, so, and we'll, we'll kind of address that in a minute, but I want to go through the, the, the next three pretty quickly. They're all pretty easily, you know, are obviously uh, negative. Um, so number three would be you don't belong. Um, so this could be you're different, uh, you don't fit in with our family, uh, you're kind of the black sheep. Um, I have noticed kind of an unexpected version of this sometimes crop up. Um, I know this happened in our family. <laughs> um, so if, if you've ever used the phrase, and I'm speaking to myself here because I use this phrase, um, in our family we don't blank. So, I used to use, the, I, I did this once with Shiloh, and, and then I, I caught it and recognized, oh, this is, this is shaming. So in our family, we don't hit, okay? So your darling angel just clocks somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in her mind, um, or his mind, are they then not in the family? Like, obviously they realize they hit, so do they not belong anymore? Um, and so that introduces this idea of shame. Like, y this is a condition. In our family, we don't do this. So if you want to be in our family, if you want to belong, then, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not matching that, right? You're, you're not uh, performing up to this level. Um, and so, and, and I'll, I'll get into some different ways that I approach that later, but um, yeah, it, absolutely. We need to think I about those types of things as parents and, and even in our past as children. Like, how did we think about belonging? How did we think about fitting in with our family? Like, was it kind of held over us? Um, like, you have to do these things. You have to check these boxes to feel like you actually belong. Um, another message, so we've had, um, you're not enough. Uh, you're not good, you don't belong. Another one is you're not lovable. Um, this is 
maybe sometimes expressed as you're hard to love or it's difficult to love you. Uh, why do you make things so hard, you know? Um, and the idea, again, is um, that you need to do something more. You need, you're not enough, you aren't doing enough of something to deserve love. Um, and then the fifth one, this one is uh, really uh, devastating, and it's uh, you should not exist. Um, and this one, you know, I see, I see people who have heard this maybe directly in therapy, um, and uh, sometimes it's been more indirect, like you, you know, it was an accident or you were unexpected, and that can kind of leave those feelings of maybe I shouldn't be here, you know. Um, but I've also had people who were, uh, you know, directly told you shouldn't have been born, right? Um, so obviously shame will come from that. Um, it's, I think it's impossible for there not to be um, a wound of shame there. If, if that has ever been expressed to you or if you've understood that in some way. Um, so all of these messages uh, are seeing love as conditional, um, as having some sort of set of standards um, that are required to be met for you to be loved or uh, regard, highly regarded, highly valued. Um, and so, like I said, you know, a lot of times parents can uh, justify this because maybe they're getting some good outcomes their kids are achieving. Um, but it's kind of that whole, like, well, you turned out fine. <laughs> well, we're all in therapy, so. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there might be some things that could have uh, been done a little bit differently. Um, so what, what is, you know, the, the response to this? Um, I think that, you know, we, we see that if, if our love, if our value is based on conditions or, or standards being met, um, that we're just not going to feel good enough. And what they found, you know, in, in research is that this is a very persistent feeling, uh, that even when you're achieving great things, that a person still feels this, I'm not gonna, I'm not good enough. Um, so it actually is completely independent from your actual performance. That's kind of the messed up thing about this, right? Like it doesn't matter how well you do, what you achieve, you know, um, it's not going to ever get you to that point of feeling loved because you are operating in this mindset that that love and that value is still based on conditions. And whether those are standards of someone else or standards you put on yourself, um, it, it's even if you occasionally meet that standard, it's still not going to result in that feeling of love, being loved. Um, so I, I said I wanted to talk about some, some things that are kind of hopeful that we can take from, from uh, the community here at Collective. And, um, so I kind of want, want to transition to that, but I also want to say, you know, one more thing about shame and, and maybe why um, it's hard for, for us to let go of sometimes. Uh, so Stephen Colbert, I remember watching a, an interview, and he's, you know, a good Catholic, and so <laughs> <laughs> I think 
uh, very well versed in shame. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, he was talking to a guest once about shame. I think it might have been Brene Brown. I'd have to go back and look at it. Um, but um, he, was, he was saying, well, maybe a smidge of shame is ideal. Like maybe we need to keep a little bit of shame to keep us in check, right? Kind of as like a social rule that helps people, you know, um, act appropriately around each other. Um, and so the idea here is, is there a reason that shame is maybe good? Um, like m maybe some amount of shame is okay or healthy for us to have in society. Um, and because it is kind of a corrective at times, right? Um, and I would say, you know, that it actually isn't necessary, that shame is always toxic or negative. That's my position on it. Um, it as long as you have a, a robust enough definition of guilt. So if you, and there is a difference there, and I'll explain it, but if, if you can distinguish shame from guilt and see the importance of guilt in our kind of growth and improvement as people in society or within relationship, then shame isn't necessary. Um, so shame, it, it can be corrective, um, like I was saying, in, in helping us alter behavior can be highly motivating, you know? I'm, I'm kind of over seeing all the like health coaches on Facebook posting <laughs> like, this is, look how lazy and, you know, terrible I used to be. Like, look at these pictures and now look how much I've grown. And so all this shaming about where maybe they've been. Um, but uh, it, it, so in a sense, it can be highly motivating in the moment, um, but it's, it, like I said, it, it's um, a hamster wheel, right? Like you're not gonna get off of that. You're not going to ever reach that place that you think, okay, when I finally reach this weight or this you know, achievement, this accomplishment, then I can, I can stop feeling that. You're, you're always gonna be seeing another, another mountain that you have to you know, uh, reach, another mountaintop before you feel like you'll, you'll feel like you're good enough. Um, so, but, but shame is um, a little different than guilt, right? So remember, the definition of shame is um, that we're defective in some, some way, um, defective as a human being or a subhuman. Um, guilt is um, when, so there are two ways to think of guilt. So guilt can be um, like your status in relation to something else. Um, and it can be a feeling. Um, so, um, for example, uh, some of you may be guilty of speeding on your way here to church today. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would guess that most of you don't feel guilty for that, right? Um, maybe Chris Gibson would feel guilty. She talks about <laughs> being <laughs> like speeding a lot, so maybe she feels guilty. Um, so the guilt as a feeling is when you realize you've violated some value you've, you, you know, um, that you hold. Um, and uh, so you, you realize your actions don't align with a value that you have, and so you feel guilty about that. Um, now, it, it can also happen um, or, or we can expect it to happen when someone else 
is violating a value that we hold. Like we can wish that they would feel guilty about that. Maybe their status is guilty, they did violate that value, but we want them to change their behavior, so we want them to feel guilty about that. Um, so I, I remember my youngest, um, Joy, she uh, used to really enjoy um, sneaking gum. <laughs> so she'd ask us if she could have one piece of gum, and then she would end up sneaking a lot more. And so one time I uh, was walking past our refrigerator and like the gap between the refrigerator and the wall, I saw, I think it was really like hundreds of gum wrappers, <laughs> like, you know, piles of gum wrappers in there. Um, and so she was violating a rule, uh, she was guilty of it, but she was not feeling guilty <laughs> about it, right? And uh, so I, I went and I, I talked to her about it, and I could have shamed in this position, right, as a parent, and a lot of parents would, like, um, you know, you're a, you're a thief, you're, you know, <laughs> this is bad, you, you're a liar, like, and I, I can't even imagine, you know, if you know Joy, she's a little cutie, so, like, I don't think I could have even done that, you know, you, adorable little liar, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't want to take that approach, of course, because uh, of how damaging it can be to be, you know, to be shamed. Uh, so I talked to her about, hey, you know, we have this rule in place because it'll hurt your tummy if you have too much of this and we wouldn't want your tummy to hurt and, you know, can you imagine, like, our dog, he would love to eat, you know, ice cream all day, but wouldn't that hurt his tummy sometimes, you know, so we have rules in place. And um, her eyes got really big and she was like, you found the gum wrappers, <laughs> you know. So then she started to feel like some guilt about it, like, okay, I, I, I did something that could hurt my tummy, right? Um, and, and I think that was the right approach. It's still, sometimes I'll see like one lone gum wrapper hidden somewhere, like, <laughs> and I always went, I don't know if it was from that era and, you know, or if, she, if she's still doing this. Um, so, but, the goal here was to help her change the behavior, right? It wasn't to make her feel defective as a person for doing something against a value. Um, so um, when, we're, we're, when we're hoping that somebody else will change their behavior, you know, we, we have that choice. Uh, we can um, try to help them understand why, you know, a value is being held and help them maybe um, take that value, adopt that value themselves, and then maybe they would, you know, be motivated to change it. Um, but we don't want, you know, we don't want to take the other approach, which is to shame and make them feel defective for uh, having a different value than we have. Um, so another version of this, when Shiloh was about three, um, she, was really interested in kind of identifying what the rules were. You know, she's absolutely a rule follower. Um, and uh, so she would say things like, we don't, we don't hit people, right? You know, and, and that, you know, that was the change from, you know, we don't hit people in this family. It just became, we don't hit people because it hurts them, right? So the focus more on compassion and empathy for others instead of, you know, belonging to the family. Um, but, uh, so, 
it was funny though because she started to get really specific with it too. Like <laughs> one time she was like, "Dad, um, we don't hit um, baby sisters with a plastic dinosaur for tearing our paper, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and to which I replied, uh, "Honey, can I have the plastic dinosaur for a little?" <laughs> you know. um, so. Uh, and then it also got really weird. Uh, we, we joke about this still. She, at one time she said, Dad, we don't lick mirrors in clothing stores, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> of germs. That's, yes, that's true. We don't do that. Have we done that? <laughs> like, where are we at with this? Um, but uh, so I was, I was talking to Emily about this and um, about uh, how we can, I think we can clearly see, like, um, let's use, for example, um, the extreme, like the Westboro Baptist type of approach, you know, shaming people for having different values than they have. Um, and we can just obviously see how wrongheaded their approach is, how terrible that is, right? Um, and, um, and destructive, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm really cautious about how I, I say this next part uh, because I don't want to say to, for you to think that I'm comparing you know anything we do with that type of destructive approach but I think that we can also have the same sort of tendencies to shame um, for people not agreeing with our values right um, I think about when uh, you know, someone is being a, a Karen, I apologize to any Karens, and so they are videotaped in the, the store, you know, acting really awful and harmful, and then that's posted on Facebook and everybody is deriding them. You know, that's the same type of approach of shaming out of defectiveness, right? Um, but it's, um, it, it's so y the idea here though is and I want to be really careful with this because you know Emily w was rightly saying like we need to be able to hold people accountable right for the wrong things that they do if they're causing harm and I absolutely believe that I think that's necessary um, and so the way that we do this is not necessarily uh, or, or it, I, I, I think the best way to do this is not to um, make them feel defective as a person for what they're, they're doing wrong, uh, but helping them understand the harm that they're causing. And we have every right to express that, you know, and to make that, um, you know, clear that they have uh, harmed someone. And that's the part of holding them accountable. Um, but I think if, if we're hoping that they'll feel defective for what they've done, uh, that that's the wrong approach. That's going to create more defensiveness. Um, so uh, I think, you know, one way that I've experienced this in my own life, you know, Emily was um, talking to me about um, how she had learned um, you know, recently in uh, a stamped book um, by um, Ibram Kendi, X Kendi, um, about the difference between uh, kind of a segregationist 
uh, racism and assimilationist racism. Um, and so uh, segregationists, you know, believe that uh, kind of more of the conscious belief that we are superior in some way to another race and so therefore should be separate. Assimilationists uh, tends to be much, much less conscious um, oftentimes and uh, more the belief that, um, you know, the more that another race acts like my race, then they're better, you know, for that um, or they, and they kind of reach a higher status. Um, and so the way that I've recognized this at times is, you know, thinking, oh, they, you know, how well someone maybe speaks proper English, you know, as a sign of intelligence or something. Um, so I think, you know, I recognize in myself that I've, I've been guilty of this at times. Um, and instead of taking, you know, the harmful kind of self-shaming approach to that, um, which would uh, lead to, you know, feeling defective and awful as a person, that I have a better chance of actually growing and healing if I can see that as, oh, I've caused harm with these types of, you know, with this way of thinking, and I need to make changes to it. You know, I need to make a difference. Um, so, uh, you know, the feeling shame for um, like being a racist versus um, feeling guilty for violating this value. I think that's a major difference, right? I think that we can um, we can grow. We're more more likely to be um, open to hearing you know things that we need to change. Um, and be less defensive if we're not approaching it from that place of shame. Um, and we're, we're seeing, okay, um, there's actually positive change that can happen. And so that is growing with compassion, right? That's, um, that's having compassion for yourself in those situations where you've gotten something wrong and being able to uh, see potential for change and growth. Um, so we heal from shame through compassion. Um, you know, the, the central, I think, values of collective church have been grace and peace, and I would in include compassion as part of that with grace, you know. Um, and so this is a core value, and it's helped us grow, I think, immensely as people. Um, you know, but for a lot of people, compassion is, a lot easier to feel for someone else than for yourself, right? And um, so oftentimes I'll ask people in therapy to um, imagine that their friend is feeling something similar to what they maybe have expressed to me uh, or has, has done something similar. And, um, you know, what would you, how would you feel about that person? You know, maybe w what would you think about their situation? And, you know, very immediately, most people are able to think, well, you know, I would try to understand them and I would give them grace and I would show them love and compassion. Um, but we're so slow to do that for ourselves, you know. Um, and this is actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a natural tendency to be more self-critical um, because we, we think, I know all this stuff about myself 
and uh, so I need to hold myself to a higher standard, right? Um, but I think the, the beauty of what we've gotten here at Collective is we've learned how to be compassionate. We've, we've you know, trained ourselves in that, acting that way with one another and showing that to one another. Um, and that's powerful. Um, but we can also feel that for ourselves, right? We can also apply that to our own story and our own situation. Um, so the feeling like you don't deserve grace and peace, um, of course, that's the resurfacing of the not being good enough, right? That shame message. Um, if, if you think, well, I can you know, feel this you know, grace for someone else, but I don't really deserve that. You know, that's the shame talking again. Um, and, and it's because, again, we are in this conditional mindset that um, love and value is based more on reaching some sort of standard or goal rather than it's just inherent in who you are as a creation of God and as God abiding in you. Um, so what are some things that the Bible says about this? Um, I know it's, you're wondering, we're just talking about Bible verses? <laughs> this part of it. I'll, so I'll be quick through these. Um, but the first one is in 1 John 4, 16 through 21. And I'm reading out of the uh, New Revised Standard Version. Um, so we have known and believe uh, that love, or the love that God has for us, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. So notice the emphasis is not on punishment and fear, but on abiding love as we abide in God. Um, so awareness of being completely enveloped in love, it actually obliterates the fear of punishment. Um, so if my child completely, is completely convinced of her status of being loved and being worthy of love, um, being highly valued, then she's free to make mistakes. You know, she's free to get it wrong. It's okay. Um, she has freedom to not be perfect, right? Because she doesn't connect that. She isn't saying, uh, or she isn't believing that um, she has to um, hit this standard to be worthy, to be valued. Um, in John 13, 34, and 35, it says, I give a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what a concept, you know, that Christians would be known by love, right? Um, by um, sharing that love with one another, um, showing that compassion. Uh, that's what we've done here at Collective, 
you know. Um, we have, um, if, if nothing else, been known for loving too much, right? Loving too boldly, too many. Um, in, in Mark uh, 12, 28 through 34, um, it says, One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Um, that, you know, that's, I think the vision that Rob and Caroline always had was bringing the kingdom here, you know, loving one another, um, showing this compassion, this grace and peace. Um, and uh, I've, I've often used this verse talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, loving yourself is understood in that. It's not going to be very helpful, you know, if you're not loving yourself to, say, do this same thing that you do for yourself for others. I think it's harder for us. Maybe, I don't know if there's a difference there, you know, culturally, but it's harder for us to do that first part of loving yourself. Um, the last verse here is in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. As God's chosen ones, um, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Um, so, I always read this as clothe yourself with compassion for other people. Like, put this on like the armor of God and then go out and be compassionate. Um, but I think another interpretation of this would be put that on yourself. You know, wear that compassion, that same love um, that binds all things together in harmony. You feel that for yourself. Um, so clothe yourself in compassion. Uh, above all, clothe yourselves in love. Um, so I want you to take from this place um, the love that you've felt toward others, the grace and peace that you've shared every week and you know, with uh, other church members. I want you to wear that like a, a warm blanket for yourself. You know, uh, bask in that love and compassion that is maybe easier for you to feel for others and feel that for yourself. Um, this is what I think it means to take away um, something great from our time here at Collective. Um, I want you to believe that every good thing, every thought, every word that you've spoken to someone else to encourage them, that that's also for you, that you deserve that. Um, this is the answer to shame. You are enough, right? Um, 
belonging as uh, you know, Brene Brown. It, it would be hard for me to get through a whole message without talking about her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she argues that it's the courage to ultimately belong to yourself, you know, and to um, be uh, accepting of yourself in that. Um, and o- oftentimes we find that if we find a community like Collective, then we, we learn through those examples of belonging to them how to belong to ourselves. But that's the next step, right? Because you take that with you. It doesn't matter uh, who maybe challenges that or tries to shame you. Uh, once you have understood that I belong, I'm accepted, I accept who I am, then nobody can take that away from you again. Um, so I want to stay connected. I love that we you know, have a group online that we can still talk in. Um, I think it's important for us to do that, uh, to you know, maintain um, a community in the sense of we can still encourage one another. Um, but you can also take this with you as far as um, feeling that compassion for yourself that you felt for others here. Uh, so grace and peace to all of you at Collective, and I've really enjoyed my time with you today. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening.